Greetings, Maltopians. Are you looking to delve deeper into the world of Maltopia? Then check out our Patreon, where you can find written mythos pieces, world maps, found footage, art, Patreon-exclusive shows, and more. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Maltopia and join one of our tiers for access to great new content. Brave the forbidden and embrace the darkness. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Ugly motherfuckers! Let go of me! Writhing and otherworldly creatures lashed out from Salvatore's eyes like hellish whips, smashing into the chest of another Chimerith, sending it toppling off the edge of the building he was standing on. They were gaining on him. He'd been trying to navigate by rooftop, but whatever biomechanical eyes and ears the city had, it was able to keep track of him. Consequently, the Belfine's servants, the Chimerith, were coming at him in higher and higher numbers. If he tried to fight them all, he would surely die, 
One took enough energy out of him. He couldn't take on hordes. Plus, the bastards were like snowflakes. Each one a different mad scientist's wet dream. Some conglomerate nightmare of disparate materials, somehow brought to violent life by a city full of biomechanical Frankensteins. Each time one rose up against him, he didn't know what to expect, and so he simply tried to avoid them. He also didn't know himself. These new abilities came with a depthless uncertainty. He had no idea what he could do. He'd been pretty much running on autopilot since his escape, letting whatever he'd been coupled with to do all the work. All he knew was that they shared a similar rage, an unkempt blaze that wanted to burn down all the ill fortune that had befallen them. Thoughts of his mother mixed with alien memories of a devastating and apocalyptic storm. Horrible algae wrecked forms washing up upon shores of ruined cities and its dead residents. The two memories seemed to conjoin, commiserate, become psychic Siamese twins and fuel Salvatore's actions. But he couldn't let his desire for a full-scale assault drive him. He had a job to do. Sal leaped over another building, one that was changing right before his eyes. The organic matter that partially made up the place suddenly grew a number of barbed tentacles, a giant gnashing jaw at their center. The fleshy things whipped out like tongues of lightning, all aiming for Salvatore's soaring figure. However, before he knew it, his eyes replied with an organic deluge of their own, two claw and pincers tearing apart the assaulting limbs before they could come near. The giant mouth croaked an awful sound, and then faded out of view as Salvatore landed atop another crooked high-rise. He made sure to make himself known, destroying parts of the structure that responded with fire and voluminous explosions. Then he dove down towards the street below, plummeting like a bomb. He was curious why he wasn't afraid of such feats. Leaping across the sky, shooting demonic creatures from his eyes, diving off skyscrapers. It all seemed so natural to him now, like he'd had a lifetime of experience doing it. He imagined the relative comfort came from the other, the alien stowaway in his body. Or was it his soul? Just before he smashed into the ground, his ocular inhabitants stretched out all around him grabbing onto scaffolding, light posts, and any other appendage the surrounding environment might lend him. Rogue figures scurried away all around him as he was gently placed on the ground. Without hesitation, the snaking monstrosities shot from his eyes, impaling anyone within reaching distance, their screams roaring almost as loudly as the fires around him. He nonchalantly tossed their corpses through walls and windows, heaved them at vehicles and other pedestrians, causing as much commotion as he could. This was the part of town he had to be. He needed to make a show of it. The bestial tendrils lashed and collided with his surroundings, tearing apart everything he could see. 
throwing alien vehicles, puncturing holes in surrounding structures, and killing anything he saw in a road. After a few minutes of flooding the streets with carnage, he felt numbers swelling around him, rumblings of the chimera who had been tracking him. It was time to be on the move again. His writhing cohort stretched out again, pinning themselves to the surrounding buildings and readied him for another massive jump. But just before he could launch, he felt a massive thing impact him, causing him to fly like a racing bullet through the streets and into the neighboring architecture. A bit dazed from the impact, Sal lethargically stood up among the falling debris and sparking wires. Fire and smoke clouded his periphery, but as his vision focused, he could see a giant silhouette strolling toward him. Dozens of other Chimerith were present, but they didn't move, only stood there, spectating. Suddenly, the wisps of smoke parted and the shadowy figure emerged from the blazing turmoil. It was Arcos, the Chimerith that had chaperoned him and his companions to several parts of the city. The titanic beast stood there, an arsenal of teeth gleaming in the firelight, its vermilion mane shuffling ever so slightly in the wind. The thing's amber eyes were rapacious, almost electric, like tiny storms toiled somewhere within them. He stood there, a monument of muscle, teeth, and unparalleled ingenuity. It seems our master's little experiment has grown some teeth, and has chosen to bite everything it sees. A problem. I'm happy to remedy. Awful chatty for a lapdog, aren't you? Let's get on with it, you fucking roid rage looking piece of shit. Salvatore wasted little time, conjuring his army of serpentine servants into action, shooting them like spears at the monstrous thing's chest. When they hit, it felt like they were tunneling into stone, layers of tough sinewy muscle that were more akin to steel than flesh. The hulking creature didn't so much as move, but just stood there a bulwark of unbreakable make and stolid will. The sigils across its body suddenly burst into crimson life, competing with the effulgence of the surrounding conflagration. Suddenly, Salvatore felt horrible pain surge through him, as if some kind of eldritch energy was being channeled down his monstrous new appendages. He began to seize, his nerves on fire, his mind ablaze with unthinkable pain. He could feel the thing inside him writhe as well, its anguish only magnifying his own, a looping circuit of pulsating misery. He dropped to the ground, trying his best not to let out a scream, only grunting his discontent. He could hear Arcos casually striding up to him, his footsteps heavy and loud, like the bellows of a coming storm. So this is the result of so much of my master's efforts? This is the next step forward? The next evolution? Far be it for me to question their wisdom, but perhaps the apex of their endeavors already stand before them. You were the mere wisp of a dream. A dream I will be happy to wake them from. Arcos lifted his massive foot in the air, readying it to smash down and crush Salvatore's skull. With his creatures still dug into Arcos' chest, he willed them upward, lifting the muscled abomination through the stone ceiling.
He pushed further and further up, smashing the arrogant Chimera through story after story, until eventually diving down like a missile into the ground. Upon impact, he was quick to retract his armory of demonic serpents, not wanting to feel whatever it was that Arcos had shunted into his body before. The dust and smoke lingered in the air, phantoms of destruction haunting the scene. Salvatore was now the one striding forward, peering into the dirt-smeared fog to see his adversary. Eh, ain't so mouthy now, are you, asshole? You see, where I come from, if you're gonna talk shit, you better be ready to back it up. So where you at, tough guy? We done already? Suddenly, the ground began to quiver, and before he could react, Arcos emerged from the stone street, massive hands outstretched, his clawed digits cutting into Salvatore's flesh. Contrary to his previous demeanor, Arcos now seemed indignant, enraged, furiously smashing Salvatore into the ground at the walls around him, roaring as he went. In response, Salvatore unleashed as many of his vigorous cohorts as he could, all puncturing and biting the monstrosity that was now manhandling their host. However, as with last time, Arcos's sigils gleamed red and that horrible pain began to surge through him again. He dug them deeper, hoping he'd find some organs, something to slow down the beast. Arcos roared in pain, and the two were locked in lethal combat, Arcos smashing Salvatore into the ground, while Sal's demons wrapped about the monster, impaling him where they could. However, Salvatore was fading, blackness hemming in his vision. With each impact, he felt himself wane, and finally, his horde of helpers retracted. With no resistance, Arcos continued his onslaught, his bladed fists pounding Salvatore into the bedrock, relentless. That will be enough, Arcos. Arcos was caught in a tempest, a rage beyond the fight fueling his fists, which continued to rain down upon Salvatore's limp body. I said enough! You would do well to listen to me the first time, beast. But Master Callista, this thing is unworthy of... Do you forget your station? It is we who deem worthiness, not our beasts of burden. Now, bring him to the House of the Gloros. The others wish to see the results of their investments. A flash of anger and resentment could be seen in Arcos' eyes, but then it quickly faded. Yes, Master Callista. The hulking thing picked up Salvatore's limp form and began to walk toward his destination, a retinue of Chimerith marching loyally at his back. Put it there on the table, Arcos. Astonishing. The ethanatic process worked. The being's soul was successfully grafted onto the subjects. Their etheric profile is completely merged. Inseparable. As predicted, the alien organism's soul modified the subject's physiology, bestowing him with the thing's abilities. However, more testing will be necessary to make sure he remains stable. What did you say he could do, Callista? 
From the reports and footage, he seems to be able to manifest living creatures from his ocular cavities. A strange development, to be sure. But judging by the destruction, an effective one. He was nothing. Barely worth the breaths needed to put him down. Come now, Arcos. Do not let your pride blind your judgment. He was not the easy prey you may come out to be. I saw him give as good as he got, and that was after he had already battled another of your brethren, and won. Are you afraid you'll be replaced, Arcos, as you and the Chimerith replaced your predecessors? You know, perhaps more than any of us, that only the strongest are meant to survive. If your kind are meant to perish, then so be it. But do not worry, my loyal servant. You and yours will get to prove yourselves, as you did once before. <sighs> of course, Master Edric. Let us not get ahead of ourselves, Edric. We must replicate the results. And then there is the cloning process to consider. But yes, I think the results are quite promising. Has there been any word on the other humans? I'm afraid not. Most of our forces were tracking this one. But it is of little concern. I don't foresee them being a problem. Suddenly, the earth began to tremble, the furniture in the room falling over, the whole room shaking. Then, before anyone could properly react, the large doors swung open and a tall, slender man carrying a lantern sauntered in. Foresight, my dear Callista, can be a bit trickier than you might think. Moffat's smile was wide and glowing, teeming with a confidence that seemed ill-placed. The Gloros regarded him quizzically, wondering if the man had gone insane. Mr. Moffat, you're a hard man to find. And resourceful, it seems. Tell me, how did you manage to get in here, beyond the guards on the door? Perhaps we should be studying you. I am known to be a bit whimsical. Aloof, some have even said. But as for how I got here, well, a magician never reveals his tricks. But perhaps the question you should be asking yourself is, why am I here? And how on earth did a human like myself get the best of you? The room erupted in laughter, the bell fiend and the Chimerith servants bellowing. You truly are quite the specimen, Mr. Moffat. Perhaps when we cut you open and look inside, we'll be able to discern the cause of your insanity. Oh, I'm sure you'd find a trove of interesting things. Like that your pet project over there didn't escape by accident, but was deliberately released by yours truly. Oh, but of course I don't. I don't expect you to be impressed by a simple jailbreak. <laughs> Any dullard can do that. No, but what might take you aback is that I told my friend to lead you away, distract you, knowing full well that you would capture him as a direct result of doing so. Indeed. That would cause you to scratch your head. Why on earth would he do that? Why would he have his friend captured a second time? That is, until you realize a conspicuous element. The capture of your recent science experiment has caused you to do something rare. Gather together with your fellow Gloros. You only do that for the most curious of occasions. For instance, a group of humans arriving at your doorstep? <laughs> Finally, you'd say, well, that's all good and well, but what benefit would there be for him to want all of us in one place? Of course, it is here where you are totally lost, and that is because you have been looking to your enemy at the front gates, rather than the one below your feet. <laughs>
Let's say there was a third party, one interested in gathering an army as quickly as possible. And let's also say that it discovers that there's a group of five powerful individuals who control an entire society, one with an army of glorious monstrosities that it can manipulate via psychically implanted brands. All one need do is subsume the consciousness of those five beings, as this theoretical party is wont to do, and it could have a whole city and its military at its beckoning call. But how to get them all in one place? They are so secretive and go to extensive lengths to hide their movements. Assaulting them piecemeal wouldn't work, of course, as it would tip off the others and lead to its eventual defeat. If only there was some way to manipulate the situation from the very beginning, to know the moves of this inscrutable group before even they knew. Then comes a remarkable stranger with just such a capacity. A secret pact is made and a plan put in place, each piece on the board carefully moved about by invisible hands, all to bring about one single moment. This one. Now, you're starting to worry. You're starting to think about that tremor you felt and my allusions to something scheming underground. There's a part of you deep inside those wrinkly courtesies of yours that knows you've been had, leaving you with one desperate thing to do. Kill him. Kill him now. Right on cue, my boy. I think it's time for me to introduce my guests. If you would, please. Vormaxorm the Sanaya. The doors shattered, fragments of them embedding themselves in the walls. From the opening walked a cloaked figure dressed in ragged gothic garb, his mouth covering a road map of glowing scars. It was Riva. The Chimerith were almost upon Moffat when he let loose a storm of curses. Eldritch energies spanning the room. Swarms of demonic insects stung and bit the behemoths, causing fluids of every color to drip out of their pores like waterfalls. Others screamed as geysers of superheated blood erupted from their eyes, mouth, and ears, their flesh melting away, bones smoking cinders upon the ground. Still others attacked one another, thrashing and tearing apart each other's muscled bodies, a macabre slaughter of bestial proportions. The Gloros tried to escape through the other doors, but the metal they were made from was melted into a barricade of molten slag. Instead, like scared mice, they huddled into a corner, as their protectors died and fell upon each other with rapacious vigor. Throughout it all, Moffat simply smiled, wading through the chaos with a practiced grace. He stood before the group of Gloros, his smirk burned into the retinas, no doubt. Please, please, we'll, we'll let you go. There's, there's no need to kill us. But isn't that against your guiding philosophy? The strongest survive and the weak perish? I do so hate when desperation makes one abandon their principles. Oh well, consider yourself among the bones of the unworthy. Moffat turned his back and then stomped his foot twice upon the ground. The floor and the rest of the chamber shook, the light seizing and debris raining all around him. Suddenly, the ground detonated upwards marble, rock, and other alien materials careening against the walls and ceiling. As the smoke dissipated, a colossal thing loomed above the quivering group of Belfine, its transparent and gelatinous body quivering with delighted anticipation. The Umbarian looked at its prey below. And now, my little friends, 
it is time for the Masters to become the Mastered. Grimland is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Stephen Anslone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld. Sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anslone. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. And if you'd like to know more about Grimland and contribute to its nightmarish expansion, visit us at www.patreon.com forward slash Maltopia, where you can gain access to all sorts of art, mythology, stories, and more. For more information about Grimland and the world of Maltopia, visit us at Maltopia.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 